Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Ferronin, your editor in exile, and I am joined otra vez by Kevin, the big shot Hume. How you doing? Doing all right, man. How's it going? Good. Do you, uh, do you remember that novelty shot glass I had back in the day? It said the big shot on it. Oh, man. Uh, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Uh, probably because I used it. I... <laughs> I only used it once, actually. It was probably five ounces or so. I got it for like a birthday gift or something. Mm-hmm. Um, freezer cold, ancient age, the cheapest uh, whiskey I was aware of at the time. Gross. Yep. 20 yep. years old. Anyway, we're not here to talk about my misspent youth today. Uh, I want to talk, I want to hear about a different kind of shot. Kevin, I understand you've been going out and photographing vaccination sites in the city. What can you tell us? What have you seen so far? Yeah, so um, I don't exactly remember if it was last week or not, but very recently the city opens its first mass vaccination site out at CCSF, and that one is like a car drive-through based site. Um, a lot of these are popping up around the state, around the country. Um, I know that there's talk of one that's going to be opened at the Oakland Coliseum soon. Um, and this week, two... I think actually three new sites opened up, uh, two of which I went to. One is in the Mission, which is um, primarily for, you know, the neighborhood. I think it only has about 200 uh, doses a day, Um, 200 shots maybe. I'm not exactly sure, but it can serve a very small number. So it's just for a very small amount of people. But it was a very um, well-run operation from what I could tell. I actually got to get inside a little bit and get a couple shots of people getting the shot as well as uh, get some photos of the vaccine, the Moderna vaccine. It was kind of crazy to be like a couple inches away from something that I know will eventually save my life and know also that I couldn't uh, have access to it yet. Ah, so close. Um, it's so I know. It's fine. I'm fine with waiting my turn. Um and then yesterday, uh, the city opened its second mass vaccination site at Moscone Center, uh, primarily, which uh, is mostly going to be for people who can, you know, walk through. But, I, you know, the, the area of the street out in front on Howard, they said is it's mostly uh, set up for drop off so people can get dropped off. And I think they also mentioned that they're a lot of the meters and within a few block radius around there have been turned off for the purpose of the site. So this one is huge. They have basically said once they get enough vaccine um, that they can go up to anywhere from 7,500 to 10,000 per day, uh, people per day. Um, So just, you know, once they get enough to be able to do that, uh, they can ramp up to that. I think their goal at the start is somewhere around 24 to 2,500 people. But um, if you've ever been to Moscone Center, it's huge. And this site looks like kind of almost like a giant DMV operation where it's just lots of seats, socially distanced out, uh, separated by like A, B, C, and D, and then just booths with areas where people will get vaccinated lined up all in a row. Kind of cool, kind of modern. Kind of like the DMV. <laughs> All right. I don't always <laughs> think modern when I think the DMV, but that system of calling, uh, that, that makes sense. You can get through a lot of people uh, in a in an orderly fashion there. Um, yeah, exactly. 
So speaking of vaccines and COVID-19, um, it seems that many folks aren't too keen with both our local city and state officials for their handling of the pandemic at, of late. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting, you know, back in 2020, Mayor London Breed and Gover Governor Gavin Newsom were enjoying some glowing press for their decision to lock down hard and lock down early. But um, after some bad surges in the state and inconveniences in the city and the state, um, criticism over distribution of the vaccine, a two-month moratorium on outdoor dining, and schools that still aren't open, people are pissed. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have a story about that in this week's paper that takes a look at just one restaurant on Divisadero, um, Horse Feather, and how they've had difficulties weathering this pandemic. They're luckier than some. They had some money in the bank. And the stories about the frustration they felt not being able to serve people outdoors. Um, I mean, here's a place that clearly spent a lot of money to outfit their outdoor dining facilities. They had a very nice parklet. They had heaters, the whole nine yards. Uh, then they couldn't do any table service for most of December and January. And this was while health experts, some, I don't want to say all, but some health experts were saying that outdoor dining when done properly isn't that dangerous. Um, I don't know what my question is here, Kevin, but like... Um, do, do, do Mayor London Breed and Governor Gavin Newsom deserve some some flack? I mean, especially on point of the vaccines. I mean, what you're seeing now, or was this just like a really hard logistical challenge that like was going to take time and we're starting to see it come online? What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I feel I feel for both sides because I mean, restaurant work is hard to begin with. Um, you know, they're very dependent on day to day operations. I worked in a couple restaurants from, you know, over the years and, um, you know, like they, they depend on people coming in and tip money. Um, you know, so it's hard to sort of, you know, have an operation that can go just to take out only when I, you know, I don't know, I tip, but I don't know if everybody tips on takeout, um, you know, and outdoor dining, I, I'll admit I only did it like maybe two times and was very wary about it both times but people were enjoying it and it just it was a very poor timing for a surge right around the holidays i mean it makes sense but at the same time it just sucks because yeah i'm sure it decimated a lot of places even more after a year of being decimated you know just mm -hmm. yeah insult on top of injury so after you know newsom and breed both had their little get caught at the French laundry in, in, uh, incidents. I'm not surprised that criticism has, has come their way. It, it's a little uh, disheartening because I feel like Gavin Newsom, for the most part, is doing the best he can with, what, um, with what's been going on. Uh, and it's, it's just, you know, hard choices left and right. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. there's, there's a lot of... of you know, armchair quarterback, Monday morning armchair quarterbacking that can go mm -hmm. on in this. And yeah, I don't know, like there, there, there isn't really a great one way to go uh, answer in any of this stuff. Um, I really don't want to see another recall happen. Uh, yeah, you know, that's my next question. I mean, it, could we see a second recall of a California governor in our lifetime? It's gaining, it's gaining a lot of steam, man. I, I mean, it's, you know, there was a, I think I saw that a new Republican candidate came out uh, this week that's going to challenge him. Uh, is that uh, the mayor, former mayor of San Diego? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know his name, but yeah, he came out and he's coming out swinging where he's, I think he's gunning for the, the recall to go through and, and would definitely hop on that. 
Um, but regardless, he's going to face this guy, I'm sure, at some point. And, uh, you know, anybody that can sort of bring competition in that has support, like I feel like this guy probably will and can get, uh, is not very good news on top of a lot of people that are very angry with our governor. Certainly not good news. So uh, my my real question, though, Kevin, is if Governor Newsom is recalled, which action hero do you want to replace him <laughs> go nick cage baby oh man nick cage, Governor that, cage. Dude, that dude um, a national treasure na- yep yep <laughs> we gotta have somebody finding all our secrets and, and bringing them out um i don't know i kind of want to be like like the rock <laughs> the rock i you know the rock's like a mo- he's like i think he's like schwarzenegger he's kind of like a moderate conservative that everybody likes everybody likes the rock yeah, it's hard not to like Dwayne Johnson. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't really think of anybody else that off the top of my head that I would be like, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think for my part, I hope Newsom hangs on. I think he, he's been trying his hardest. Um, but I do get the criticism. And anyway... I guess that's all I got to say about that. Uh, And I know you got to run. So thanks for joining me today. And um, coming up on the podcast, we'll talk with Benjamin Schneider about a pair of new stories he has on the state of housing in the Bay Area. Is it enough? Is it not enough? Is it not even close to enough? Stay tuned to find out. We'll be right back. with Benjamin Schneider, staff writer for SF Weekly. Ben recently wrote two stories centered around a state-mandated urban planning process. That process, known as RENA, or Regional Housing Needs Allocation, is overseen by ABAG, the Association of Bay Area Governments. A lot of acronyms in these stories. Anyway, uh, ABAG cited the need for significant investment in new housing throughout the Bay Area, And as compared to years past, this year's RENA process calls for many more homes to be built in the Bay Area. In the wake of this process, plenty were displeased and for different reasons. Some county officials balked at the projections as far too high, while groups that favor more housing as a solution to varied social ills said that ABAG did not go far enough. It's all a bit complicated, but fortunately, Ben, um, who holds a degree in urban studies and whose Twitter handle is Urban Schneider, get it, <laughs> is here to help us understand what's going on. Welcome back to the podcast, Ben. Thanks, Nick. And and for the record, you know, I I think of my Twitter handle as a double entendre, both the urban joke and also like people say the ur. Something like the the old oh, ancient city of Ur. Wow. It's like the original. You know, people have. You yeah. know, it's like real Donald Trump. I'm I'm Ur Ben <laughs> Schneider. It's a nice. Yeah. So nice. Very nice. Okay. Um. Great. Well, let's get into it. Um, changing zoning laws to get cities to build more housing has been a huge topic of conversation in recent years in the Bay Area and in California. A lot of those efforts, like SB 50 from San Francisco State Senator Scott Weiner, have failed. 
But in recent weeks, a more obscure bureaucratic process called RHNA, RENA, has really changed the picture. Can you explain what's happening here? Yeah, so RENA is this process that's been um, implemented in California for decades. And basically every seven or eight years, uh, depending on the region, um, the State Department of Housing and Community Development uh, comes up with a number for um, each major metro area of California. So that's Southern California, San Diego, uh, Sacramento, and the Bay Area. Those are the four kind of big regions. And um, they have this formula to basically project how much new housing each region has to plan for. Um, and so historically, uh, that process has been um, it's always been important. It's always been a big part of urban planning in California, but it uh, produced projections that a lot of people said were uh, way below the actual housing needs. Um, and also the the um, the numbers that it produced that they said that the state said cities had to actually allow to be built um, often were just kind of ignored. a lot of mm. a lot of cities didn't really adhere to those. Um, to those numbers coming down from the state. And so both of those things have really changed over the past few years. Um, and so this, year, this year's, this cycle's uh, RENA process, which is um, planning for housing growth between 2023 and 2031, uh, has much higher numbers, uh, thanks to this bill from uh, 2018 from Senator Weiner that got a lot less attention than SB 50 and the sort of previous versions of SB 50 that he put forward over the last few years. Um, but that bill basically beefed up the methodology that the state has to use to determine how much housing they say regions like the Bay Area and Southern California need to build um, over time. So what happened is the Bay Area went from a last cycle being asked to build to, to plan for 187,000 units of housing, to this cycle um, having to plan for 441,000 units. Um, so that's where we are right now. Basically, the the Association of Bay Area Governments a couple weeks ago uh, adopted that number from the state. So the Bay Area is now officially on a path towards starting this process of, of individual cities and counties in the region to plan for that 441,000 number. Um, but there's a lot more uh, to go. There, there are a lot more steps to go <laughs> to, to actually get there. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned that um, in previous cycles, um, this this RENA process has been ignored by counties and cities that, that are just like, ah, we're not going to do that. Um, it has more teeth this time around? It's more enforceable this time around? Talk about that. Yeah, so that's the other piece of this. Um, not only are cities going to have to build a lot more or, or plan for, it's <laughs> this terminology, as, as you uh, said, is really confusing. Um, not only the acronyms, but like what we're actually talking about. It's, it's planning, not building, but they're connected. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, not only do cities have to plan for a lot more housing, uh, there are other laws in place that um, basically mean that if a city doesn't put forward uh, a good faith effort to actually hit their goal for the amount of housing that gets built, um, they, they are then are basically not allowed to stop 
uh, housing proposals from from mm. taking place in their city. So if a developer um, is proposing to build housing that would move a city towards their arena goal uh, when when they are behind on that goal, uh, it's it's going to be very hard for that city to to stop that housing. Um, and as we've seen in the Bay Area, uh, that's that's a pretty common theme. Um, very often, housing proposals get shot down by by hyper local levels of government. Um, and that, that's just going to be a lot harder now with uh, this sort of strengthened RENA process. So over the long term, RENA will result in, in zoning changes, um, a lot like um, Scott Wiener's um, proposed SB 50, which which did not succeed. Can you can you break that down for us? Yeah, so I think this is one of the interesting kind of human angles or, uh, you know, dramatic angles of this story, which is that, um, you know, there, there was this bill, SB 50, that would have um, essentially created the zoned capacity that cities now have to meet because of RENA. Um, but that mm -hmm. bill would have allowed for significantly higher density housing close to public transit throughout California. Um, and, and that bill was uh, shot down, um, like its predecessors that were similar before that. Um, but I think now a lot of city officials are kind of wishing that it existed, because what's going to happen with, with this RENA process is that over the next couple of years, city officials in um, you know, big cities and, and small suburbs throughout urban California are going to have to basically adopt zoning pretty similar to what SB 50 called for. Um, although, you know, it'll be, it'll be their choice rather than SB 50 being a mandate. Um, but what's going to happen is as these cities change their zoning to comply with the state rules, they're going to make a lot of people unhappy. And, um, you know, these local officials are going to be kind of in the crosshairs, whereas before it would have been Wiener or it would have been Gavin Newsom or other sort of state-level people who are, uh, you know, kind of bringing these bringing this new housing down from on high, it just kind of looks and feels different this way. Um, mm -hmm, and I think that'll yeah. be interesting to watch going forward. So people are reacting to this in different ways. How, how are people responding to the fact that Bay Area cities are going to have to build a lot more housing? Um, what are some of the stakeholders and, and how, do, how do they feel and, and how, I mean, there's different points of view, right? Yeah. Well, I think all of a sudden, basically, this process is getting very real. Uh, Cities are going to have to adopt their RENA number by the end of 2022. Um, but before that, they basically need to put forward zoning plans that will get approved by the state um, that need to correspond to that number, to that amount of housing that the city needs to allow to get built. So it's like all of a sudden, this very abstract uh, law from 2018, other, other laws that were um, related to this planning process are starting to actually look real to, to people who are involved in this, uh, in this field. And um, there's, there's a really interesting range of reactions. I think uh, probably the biggest theme um, or, or something you'll hear the most about is coming from these smaller cities in the Bay Area. Um, San Bruno and Palo Alto have been particularly outspoken uh, saying that they're getting way too much housing allocation. Uh, a number of kind of more rural towns in Sonoma County have been saying similar things. Um, so you're hearing from city officials in these smaller Bay Area cities 
that these numbers are way too high. Um, and there's so, some of that is, is them saying, it's just not possible for us to build this much housing in this amount of time, um, or, or rather allow it to be built. Um, and other, other aspects of it are more just sort of uh, criticizing the very fact that they're being forced into this position and that it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's taking away local control. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes there's often undertones of, of uh, classism and maybe racism around who's going to be moving into this housing um, and just the general fear of change that we've talked about before on this podcast that tends right. to accompany uh, new anything in, in uh, cities that haven't changed in a long time. So that's, that's one piece um, of sort of the response to the arena process. Then another piece is coming from uh, some affordable housing developers in San Francisco, um, kind of uh, some progressive political players in San Francisco, although they've been pretty quiet um, over the last few weeks. There was some frustration about this process kind of back in the fall from uh, Supervisor Gordon Marr, Supervisor Dean Preston. They, they've kind of backed off talking, talking about this, um, but, but some of their political allies uh, in some affordable housing nonprofits have come out really strongly against San Francisco's allocation of 82,000 homes, basically saying that there's too much market rate housing in that allocation. Um, and they believe that you know, new market rate housing is going to cause uh, gentrification and displacement. And so um, that's yet another perspective. And then finally, you've got uh, these Yimby groups, which I, I wrote a follow-up piece uh, about what, what's been going on there, who are saying that actually the numbers are way too low. Um, they don't account for uh, jobs housing balance, which is one of these new methodologies that are supposed to be included in the arena number that they say somehow kind of like got lost in the shuffle and that the state didn't take that into account when um, giving the Bay Area its, its uh, housing allocation. So um, you've really got these responses that are sort of all over the place, and uh, it's hard to know, you know what's going to happen as they, they all come together. Yeah. And lawsuits may be in the works, I understand. So what, what comes next? They are, yeah. So these EMB groups have actually sued the State Department of Housing and Community Development, saying that in their methodology, they didn't account for jobs housing balance. Um, and they have pretty compelling evidence, uh, a report from a number of urban planning scholars at UCLA, um, or actually from a, an urban planning think tank at UCLA with scholars from different universities. Um, and also the fact that Southern California's arena allocation actually went up about three times, whereas the Bay Area's arena allocation went up just a bit over two times what it was before. So they're looking at that and saying, huh, it's interesting that the Bay Area, um, which actually, you know, it, it seems to have an even worse housing crisis than Southern California, um, that our, our number of new homes actually didn't go up as much as Southern California's. Um, so that's something they're looking at. And so there's this, uh, that's the basis of this lawsuit that's coming. Um, other, otherwise, there's a lot more to come as well. I mean, there's this whole process of cities uh, potentially appealing their arena allocation. Um, and 
beyond that, whether or not cities are appealing, they have to start thinking about changing their zoning to comply. So um, all that is really gonna start ramping up over the next couple of years or a, even year uh, and then into 2022, that's when it'll really come to a head. Okay, well, it's a complex topic, and it's one that people are very interested in, judging from the uh, numbers that we're seeing on our analytics page, of people reading those stories, and you can read those stories. Uh, the first in the series is called Bay Area Takes Step Toward Major Housing Growth, and the second is called Yimby's Sue for Even More Housing via Arena um, on our website, sfweekly.com. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thanks, Nick. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced by me. Our co-host is Kevin Hume. Our engineer is Mike Huguenor. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe via Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check us out online at sfweekly.com and pick up a copy of the paper on the streets. See you next week.